So we are going to begin to lean into a new series of teaching today on how we encounter the risen Christ as people of faith. It turns out that what happened a couple of weeks ago by our sort of calendar was Easter, and Easter really changes everything about the nature of our faith. And so I want to sort of try to figure out what it changes about our faith by taking a look for the next several weeks at how Jesus appears to people after his resurrection, but before he ascends into heaven. There's this 40-day period between the resurrection, between Easter and Pentecost, when he ascends into heaven. And in that portion of time, in that 40 days, Oftentimes, sort of theologically in the tradition of the church, we talk about that as the revealing of who Jesus really is. There is something about Easter, again, that changes our understanding of who Jesus is in our lives. So that's where we're going to go. I'm going to ask you just to begin uh, with a word of prayer with me. But before we do that, I also want to just uh, warn you, a bit of a trigger warning, particularly for those of you who are introverted, Uh, that this is going to be a little bit different series. You're going to help me do this. Uh, We're going to engage in this journey together. So if you prefer to sit and listen and not talk or uh, chat with other people, that's okay. You can do that. But at some point today, I am going to ask you to turn to somebody else and have a little conversation. So I want to warn you in advance So if that's totally not your bag, we're all about to close our eyes and pray, and now's like a great time for you to escape. All right? Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for today, for this opportunity for us to gather. We ask that you would meet us in these difficult moments of our lives when we are engaged on a journey that is deeply uncomfortable, whether that is learning something new about the way other people experience injustice or oppression, or whether that is the changing circumstances and seasons of our lives. It feels like we are always on a journey and we are always changing, oftentimes in ways that we would rather not. And so it's our prayer today that you would meet us in the midst of those moments. And uh, open these words up to us as we read today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So we're going to take a look at Acts, or excuse me, Luke chapter 24. If you have a Bible, if you bring a Bible to church, if you're one of those folks, you can turn there. Luke chapter 24. We're going to read this portion of the passage from verse 13 all the way through verse 35. I'm going to read it to you. And I want you to listen and really pay attention to the story. So again, if you have your Bible, you can follow along. Or if you don't, you can take a look up on the screen or you can just sort of close your eyes and listen. But before we do, I just want to ask you to try to sort of pay attention to the moments in this story that seem to really jump out at you. They might jump out at you because there's something hopeful and interesting and exciting there. Or it might jump out at you because it like makes you mad or like annoys you, or like confuses you. You don't, you don't know what's going on there. Uh, so whatever it is, pay attention to that moment, and then we are going to chat about that in just a bit. But first, Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13, says this. 
It says, now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Now, I'll pause there just to point out that the two of them that this passage refers to are two of the disciples of Jesus. Those who had been following Jesus for years, who were hoping that Jesus would bring about a particular kind of redemption to Israel, and instead was arrested and crucified. And this is Easter morning. Easter morning, total chaos sort of breaks out amongst the disciples. And as that happens, two of them are walking from Jerusalem to another town called Emmaus. And it says, verse 14, they're talking with each other about all these things that happened. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, right? They stopped and they looked at him and they said, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these days? And he asked, what things? And they replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women in our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and they did not find his body there. They came back and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. And then he said to them, oh, how foolish you are and how so low to, of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. Verse 28, as they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us because it's almost evening and the day is nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? And that same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem and found the 11 and their companions gathered together. And they said, the Lord has risen. He has appeared to Simon. And they told them what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of bread. And that is perhaps one of the most famous post-resurrection stories. It's really amazing, evocative story of two disciples, brokenhearted, hurting, wounded, and on their way from Jerusalem to Emmaus. This is the story of how Christ meets us in the in-between places of our lives. 
We are going from one broken identity to the hope of another. Do you know what that's like? When everything that you hoped would be true, when everything that you were working for, striving for, had invested in is suddenly shattered and taken away, and you lose your identity, you lose a sense of who you were. This story tells us that the risen Christ often meets us in those places. In 2010, Janelle and I had been living in Oceanside for about two years and starting about midway through 2008 had planted a church here in Oceanside in our living room. Every Sunday night, about two dozen people would show up and we would talk about the Bible and we would pray together and we would sing very badly together in our living room and the kids would go into one of the back bedrooms and tear the place apart. It was really kind of cool. Uh, and Janelle and I had leveraged every penny we had, every bit of savings, every, uh, every like penny that had ever gone into a 401k, we cashed out. Janelle's grandmother died and we cashed this, you know, what to us seemed like a lot of money, but in retrospect, I assure you, was not a lot of money. Cashed that check and put it into the bank and essentially self-financed our own church plant right here in Oceanside. It was great. It was a lot of fun until we ran out of money. Turns out that period of time would come to be known as the Great Recession. And it was extraordinarily difficult for somebody who had been a pastor, a professional Christian, for 10 years to get a job doing something else. And so the rug got pulled out from underneath us. We were literally weeks away from not being able to pay our rent and being homeless. And none of those two dozen people who were showing up at our house every Sunday night were giving us a penny to do what we were doing, which is okay, but you know, you got to pay the rent. And so we were tired and burned out and frustrated and done. And so we closed that church plant and we both got like real jobs, uh, working at local nonprofits, if that qualifies as a real job. And that was maybe uh, the most painful time in my life. Certainly was also one of the most painful times in Janelle's life for different reasons. And I won't tell you her story. Maybe she'll share that with you at some point. But for me, it was the loss of my career, the loss of my vocation, the loss of my calling. And it caused me to question everything that I believed. Those spaces of transition in our lives tend to do that. They tend to cause us to question everything. And that's a good thing. But as Eric and Lucy pointed out, it's a deeply uncomfortable thing. This story indicates that this is often exactly the space where the risen Christ enters into our lives. And so, I'm wondering if you have ever experienced that. If you have ever been between identities, having lost something that was dear to you, or perhaps someone, or perhaps a major transition in your life, 
that resulted in the bankruptcy of all your dreams. And yet in the midst of it, in the midst of that dismantling of your identity, Jesus appeared to you on the road or at the table. And uh, so before we wrap up, I want to invite you to talk to each other about that for a few minutes. So I'm going to put a couple of questions up on the screen. First, how has Christ been revealed in the in-between spaces in your life? And second, what questions does this passage raise for you? I'm going to give you just about three minutes very quickly to get together and chat. And then I want a few of you to share what you talked about. So I will ask you know, two or maybe three of you, if you're brave enough to raise your hand and share what your group talked about. So get together in groups of about, you know, three or four, whoever you're sitting near, circle up, and I'm going to ask you to go ahead and answer these questions with each other. If you are online, if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, you can do this with your family, or if you're alone, you can go ahead and do this as an exercise by yourself. And I will call you back out in about three minutes so that we can finish it up. Make sense? All right, go ahead. If you would rather do this on your own, that's always okay. There's paper and pens over here on, the, on my left, your right, uh, or you're welcome to just sit and reflect. That's okay too.
I was raised essentially in, for lack of a better word, fundamentalist expressions of faith, fundamentalist faith communities. And one of the most important tenets of fundamentalist communities is that nobody outside your community really knows God. In order to know God, you have to be a part of the thing that you're a part of. And so when I lost my sense of vocation, when I lost my calling, when I lost my ministry, in a very real sense, it felt like I was losing God. And in a very real sense, I did. I had to lose the God that had been objectively defined in a way that was only controllable by the community I belonged to. I hope that makes sense. And so the risen Christ met me when I discovered that God was present at the PTA. Spoken like a long time PTA person. When I discovered that the people who lived in my neighborhood who were not churchgoers, who were not necessarily even people of faith, knew how to love and do community better than the churches I grew up in, I met the risen Christ in those friendships, in those neighborhood parties. My first week on the job at my real job, after I closed our church plant, my first week on the job, I met a homeless man. I complimented him on his rosary, which was a black rosary made of cheap plastic beads. And he took it off his neck and gave it to me. And I've been wearing it ever since. Christ met me that day in a homeless man in 2008, or excuse me, 2010, whose faith was stronger than mine. And this is how Christ met me in all those surprising and unpredictable ways. So what about you? What did you hear in your group? How has Christ met you in those in-between places? Anybody willing to share? Joey? Okay. Please, yeah. No, just speak it from where you are. Yeah. Further reinforced by family who not the devil, not the 
Christ. Amen. Amen. Christ. And you were here the first time in that transition. Yeah. That I felt true love. That I felt true authenticity. And I'm, I'm now at a place where I know that I'm loved as I am. And I share that with everybody I can Mm-hmm. And that, that's been my mantra. So God is love. Mm-hmm. And that's where I'm at first. Somebody give that man a hug. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, that's a lot to share in front of a room full of strangers. So thank you. We were honored that you were willing to share that. Um, Okay, that's a terrible act to follow, but <laughs> any, anybody else willing to share? How has Christ met you in the in-between spaces of your life? Yes, Stephanie. As my family changed and my daughter came out, and I just knew that she was going to be accepted in church. That it was, and I chose my daughter. We're grateful for you, Stephanie. Thank you for sharing. Okay. I'm noticing a pattern. Um, so maybe I'll just say this. Uh, pay attention in your life to how people in authority tell you that you have to reject and condemn and judge others in order to be safe. And like the most obvious way that we're reckoning with that as a church now is with the LGBTQ community, right? Um, But that's not the only way that churches that are authoritarian have taught us that we have to judge and condemn and marginalize people in order to be safe. And that's not true, right? As Andrew said, God is love. That's the opposite of judging and condemning and controlling. Okay. Anybody else have something that you'd like to share? Yes, Brisa. That's okay.
It's also another theme for today, so it's okay. Still feels unsure, uncertain, right? Yeah. 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 No, I, I mean, I so appreciate that you shared that, Risa, because uh, one of the th- most important passages, I think, in this story is right at the end, uh, verse 30, says this, when he was at the table with them, right? So this is the end of the journey. They've been walking with Jesus this whole time. They don't recognize Jesus. So one of the best parts about this story, they're walking along this road. They don't recognize the man that they have been with for three and a half years, They don't recognize him because they're still clinging to a false hope. They were expecting Jesus to come and like militarily conquer Rome. And that didn't happen. Jesus was taken from them instead. So because they're still clinging to this false hope, they don't recognize him. But finally, verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And and it's super obvious, of course, that this is a kind of reference to communion. It's a reference to the Last Supper. So they don't recognize Jesus until they get into this space where they are eating this symbolic meal. This symbolic meal that represents the death and resurrection of Christ. 
Now, the last time they ate this meal, they didn't know that it represented the death and resurrection of Christ. Right? So it's like this reference to a meal bookends Jesus' story, beginning with Easter and ending with Pentecost. The first time he shares it with them, he's pointing forward to his death. And they don't recognize it because it hasn't happened yet. But now he's eating it with them and he's pointing backwards, not just to his death, but to his death and resurrection. And in that moment, when they eat this symbolic meal that represents the sacrifice of Christ and the sustaining uh, sustenance that we get from it, their eyes are opened. They recognize him. This is, I think, why he disappears. Jesus disappears the instant they recognize him. Doesn't that just seem wrong? (laughs) Like, didn't you hear that part of the story and just be like, wait, what? Right when we got what we were hoping for, it left. It's gone. But this is how gifts and grace work. When a gift of grace comes to us, whether it's a new identity or a new relationship or a new career or a fresh start after losing everything, when new gifts come to us, what we want more than anything is to hold on to them tightly, to possess them, to own them, because that's what we think security is. And we do the same thing with Jesus. We want to own and possess and keep Jesus and define him and objectify him in the most concrete terms so we can use him for our own purposes. And that there's a biblical word for that. It's called idolatry. Amen. So Jesus has to disappear. All gifts disappear. Because gifts are meant to not just be received, they're also meant to be given back. You know, Thomas Merton, who was a a famous Catholic monk, at the end of his life, he summarized what he believed faith was all about. He said, the essence of faith is the begging bowl. Some of you have heard me refer to that quote before. A begging bowl is empty, and because it's empty, it gets filled. But once it's filled, you're supposed to pour it out for somebody else. And then you're empty again. And this is life. The illusion is that at some point we arrive in our journey and everything will be good. But we are always on that journey. We are never arriving. And so to live it well, we have to live in faith. We have to be willing to let go of Christ right when he comes to us and trust that if we empty ourselves, he will come again. And, and you said it, Brisa. You said we're just trusting that we'll have that moment again, that moment of grace or that moment when we feel like it's new again or however it is that you and your husband would define that. That is a life of faith. I can talk about this all day, but I'm getting hungry, and I'm sure you are too. So I'm just going to ask you to pray with me. 
God, we thank you so much for today. We ask that you would meet us in these uncertain and difficult moments of our lives when we are traveling a path from our dashed and broken hopes towards what we believe to be security. We ask that you would reveal to us how you're meeting us on the road. How as we are traveling from one version of ourselves to the next, you are constantly with us, even when we don't recognize it. How you are meeting us with grace and goodness, but not in a way that we can hold on to. Teach us to live in that space of continual reliance on meeting you in a fresh way all the time, every day, in Jesus' name, amen. That was amazing. Thank you all for sharing today. I, You know me, that's one of my favorite things that happens here, so I love hearing you all share. If you like what's happening here, there are a couple of ways to get more involved. I'm going to go through those very quickly. The first is, is how not to read the Bible. Our six-week Zoom class starts this Wednesday, May 4th, led by Jason. This is a class where you can really learn how to not read the Bible, right? How the Bible can be used to empower and liberate and love on people and not the ways that sometimes it has been used in the past. So join us for that. Obviously, next you heard about No Greater Love. You heard Eric and Lucy talk about that. That starts, when does that start? May 10th. We are hoping for you to sign up by May 3rd. That is also six weeks. So sign up for that. We would love for you to be a part of that. And lastly, our Roots class is happening May 14th here and online. It's just a three-hour class for anyone who's new or wants a refresher on what's going on here. And lastly, as always, you can support our mission by giving online or in the back. We are a 501c3 nonprofit. That's how we thrive here. So we really appreciate all the gifts you can give. And just to close this up, I love how we heard how Jesus has been present in those in-between spaces in the past. But I also want you to leave here thinking about today, how Jesus is maybe present in that in-between space now in your life. What's going on in your life now that Jesus is revealing himself? I know a lot of us are going through that, so maybe think about that. Maybe share that with someone you love this week. Or maybe ask someone you love how they're experiencing that. So may the peace of God be with you. And we'll see you soon. Thanks so much, everyone.